Hello, and welcome to Malavision, the podcast that gives you the vision and the voice to be heard. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast that gives you the vision and the voice to be heard. I am your host, Malachi, and today we are joined by Halima, who is a blind barrister um, and who was called to the bar in 2022. But first off, Halima, could you tell me a bit about yourself? Of course I can. Honestly, thank you so much, Malachi, for uh, inviting me onto the podcast. Uh, it's, it's, it's really nice to be here and hopefully the listeners will actually uh, find out where I met you um, later on. But I'm so glad that you're doing this and, and well done. Um, yeah, so my name is Halima Farouk. Uh, I am registered blind. Um, I don't have a diagnosed eye condition, so it's quite difficult to actually explain how much I can see. I use assistive technology to um, get by. I do know Braille, but I don't use it that much. Um, recently started using my white cane, which I now use full time. Um, but the way that I describe how much I can see is I'm functionally blind from my right eye. So can't see from my right eye at all. Um, most of my sight is in my left eye. And I um, basically, I can't really see much from my left eye either. So if, you were, if, if listeners were to cover their right eye completely, um, cover their left eye as well, but leave a little bit of a gap um, with the fingers uh, on their left hand. That's probably how much I can see, but less. That's how I like to explain how much I can see. Um, does that help? Yeah, definitely. Um, but I guess the question that everybody will be asking is, how is it being blind and a barrister? Yeah, that, that I guess is, is the big question, yeah. So um, currently in my uh, legal training, I am, uh, I'm still at the very start of my career and I'm still training to be a barrister. I, I was called to the bar uh, last, yeah, last March uh, and so um, I've passed all my bar exams and I've, I've done all the legal studies. Um, I am officially a barrister, but at the moment I'm an unregistered barrister. What that means is I can't give you legal advice, Malachi. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, in order to become a registered barrister, you need to obtain something called a um, pupillage, which is like our version of a training contract. And um, the applications uh, open every year. And uh, this year, I actually made it to final round, which uh, is, is a huge achievement. Uh, so, um, and I got really, really good feedback. So next year, I'm going to work on hopefully, um, you know, seeing where we go. But it is a competitive field. Um, but I don't want that to um, discourage anyone. And I never let it discourage me. Um there's competition everywhere and you just, you do have to go for it. Uh, but in terms of how things have been for me uh, with, with you know, my eyes and my educational journey up to 
up to today, I wasn't always confident with my sight loss. Um, and that had a very big um, role to play in my in my education and, and my academic life. The person that is talking to you today is not the same person that was in primary school. Uh, and so, you know, I do often think that had I known all this back then, life would have been so much easier. But I, I guess that's, that's the journey. Um, but when I was in primary school, I didn't know anything about my about my sight loss. Um, I basically just remember pretending to look um, uh, and just pretend to sort of do things. So, you know, I'm sure you remember Malachi or at school, you've got lots of um, different displays. Well, you can't see them, but you'll know that yeah. you've got lots of displays around school. Um, and in, especially in a classroom, you'll have like, you'll have loads of displays where you'll have like the 10, you know, the timetables or anti-bullying or this is the school's policy, blah, blah, blah. And it's quite visual cues for people that don't, that have good sight to, to be able to look at. And I, I just remember not being able to see them, but I know that they're there. Um, and so making it through primary school was, I don't quite know how I got through primary school. Um, it wasn't until getting to secondary school that I started to learn a little bit more about my sight loss. Um, I come from a uh, South Asian background where disability isn't really spoken about. Uh, and so I, I didn't have anyone around me that I could go to or, or talk to because it's not something that's spoken about. Um, so part of the reason that I, I do like to share my story is that if there's anyone else in a similar, you know, situation or someone from the same background as me, I just want them to be able to know that you can have a career and have a disability at the same time. And I think, I think that's often forgotten despite your, your background, even, even I, I get that from people that aren't of an ethnic background. I think people forget that disabled people can be successful. Um, but when I was in school, I was actually assigned a teacher uh, who, who acted as my, as my um, personal uh, teaching assistant. And she's the one that I did braille lessons with and um, I did personal studies with where I would learn things about, you know, mobility training and etc. And I think having her influence was very helpful. It's exactly the thing that I needed at that time in my life because she's the one that really drilled it into my head that if you don't ask, you don't get. And the worst that someone can say is no. And that really just became my motto um, when I was going through secondary school. Um, uh, but I, uh, you know, I sort of got to um, secondary school wasn't all, all you know, happy. Uh, I was bullied for, for being blind, but I think it was because I didn't need to use my white cane back then. Um, and people, students were confused 
how how can she say that she's blind or visually impaired if she's able to get around school and she's able to be in all the school shows and she's you know doing all these things um and then it people started sort of like attacking my grades and saying that oh her teachers are helping her um and that was quite disheartening to hear as a 16 year old because you're already fighting so much at that age with peer pressure and all the rest of it and being a teenager generally so listening to people say that about me was just not not what I wanted to hear um at the same time I think I think that was the same time that I really you know tried to be like okay you can either let this bring you down or you can like just completely ignore them and, and just carry on doing what you like doing uh, and so that's what I did um, and so it came to applying for university and I applied to study law um, I always enjoyed public speaking when I was in school I was in all the school shows uh, in all the school assemblies I you know I had no problem in standing up in front of 100, 200, 300 people, even more, and addressing them. Um, when we had parents' evenings, I was always the one that was front of house, um, guiding people around the school, which is funny because I'm legally blind. Um, but I knew the school from the back of my hand. So naturally, when it came to applying for a subject to study at university, I, um, I chose to study law. And then having chosen law, I knew that I didn't just want to do the degree for the sake of doing the degree. I knew that I wanted to, you know, do something with the degree. I wanted to go far with it. So um, there's two types of lawyers in the UK. There's solicitors and barristers. Solicitors are the ones that will um, have the case to begin with, and they're the ones that will do all the file prep. They're the ones that will do all the meetings with the clients and um, gather all the evidence. And then um, they will then take the case to a barrister and say, um, our client has a hearing in court and we need you to represent them in court. So a barrister is a person who has rights of audience in front of the, the, the judge and the jury. And I always knew that... Um, I like talking, so I, I went towards the barrister route, um, and so I did a, a four-year degree at Brunel University, which is a university in West London, I, and then you have to do a top-up um, additional postgraduate course, because it's not enough to do a, a four-year law degree. Uh, you have to then do a postgraduate course that's called the Bar Professional Training Course, or that's what it was called when I did it, which wasn't that long ago. It's now called the Bar Professional Course. They change the names all the time. Um, and I did that, and that was that was the more um, sort of practical, not practical, but more the more theoretical training of how life will be at the bar, and that's where they sort of teach us all the ins and outs of what we what we need to know and how we address people um, and we sort of did like makeshift mock trials um, uh, and certain applications uh, in front of a judge 
so that was really really good I really enjoyed that um and and yeah then then I uh, finally did pass my exams uh but it, it was I'm not gonna lie to you Malachi it wasn't as easy as as I make it sound um it it you know I I had my challenges I really really did have my challenges I um I struggle from migraines and obviously uh studying law there is a lot of reading um and I I haven't always been um aware of what I can and can't see from a young age like I I wasn't um my my disability isn't something that was introduced to me from a young age so it's 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 been a learning process as I've got gotten older so I think it got to like GCSE stage and I my eyes were just always hurting they were always hurting and I remember sitting at home holding a bag of frozen peas next to my eye because it was so hot and then um we later found out that it's a migraine and for me they start off from my eyes because that's what I use a lot so the first year of university I was winging it you know I was going into the wrong lecture rooms I was taking all my notes myself and don't quite know how I passed first year but um I did uh, and it wasn't until I actually did some work experience with a blind judge called Judge John Nafferty, who's retired now, um, but he gave me some incredible advice. Um, and when I met him, it was amazing to see someone who is not only a legal professional, but he is blind and he's a judge. He's like top tier legal professional, you know, and for someone who's literally doing her law degree who's starting off it was very incredible to see him um he, he just gave some wonderful advice he was like listen everyone has challenges whether that be your disability whether that be family issues whatever that may be everyone has challenges but if you identify your challenges you are halfway there of solving the problems because you've identified your challenges and now you need to put steps in place to solve your problems. So I remember in my first year, I um, was actually commuting to university and the commute was two hours. And by the time I'd get home, I was absolutely exhausted um, and I couldn't keep up with the, with the reading. So what I did was for my second year, I moved on to campus. I was like, I need to follow Judge Lafferty's advice. And this is a challenge that I currently have. Let me do something about it. And moving on to campus was amazing um, because I literally, I cut that four hour commute out of my day. Um, and that really helped because um, law is a kind of, subject where you do need to do a lot of networking and um, you need to attend quite a few legal training sessions to show to, so that you can put it on your CV and um, before when I was commuting because all the um, networking sessions were in the evening I wasn't able to stay after my lectures because it goes dark and I can't see in the dark 
Um, whereas when I moved on to campus, I, 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 I would go to all the sessions. I, I wouldn't, um, you know, worry about getting back home because I was like, I live on campus. It's fine. Um, so there were, there were things like that, that really, really helped. And then my third year, uh, of university, I actually did a placement, which is when you go somewhere and you work there for a year it's part of your degree that you're working for that year and so I worked in parliament I worked for an MP and I'm not sure if you know anything about um the parliamentary estate Malachi but it is it's horrendous um they've got lots of staircases they've got lots of glass doors um and it was just something that I was really struggling with so what I did was I made sure that I used my cane for that entire year um, and then it came to the end of the year and I was like you know what this is really good um, my cane lets people know that I'm coming and they move out of my way like from from like you know a mile down the road um, and so that's the main reason that I actually really liked my cane I was like it's an identification tool it addresses the elephant before I have to say anything. Uh, so I really, you know, that, that was back in 20, 2018. So I've been using my cane ever since then. Uh, and then obviously everything else was put in place when I went to bar school. So in a nutshell, that's my, that's where I'm at. I'm, uh, I'm not practicing law at the moment, but I do work in a um in in a in a in law enforcement at the time where i'm i'm gaining work experience uh in the meantime before i can apply for pupillage again um but yeah i, I hope that answers your question <laughs> yeah definitely um thank you so much for sharing you know your experiences um but i think a question that I've wanted to know is obviously um, you come from a Muslim background. Um, do you think that's affected you being blind, being a Muslim, wanting to do law? Because, you know, one being blind and wanting to do law is already a barrier. Being blind, a Muslim and wanting to be a barrister and school, I mean, there's already discrimination um against um you know religion um so do you think that there was a bigger issue being blind being a muslim and wanting to go into law for your childhood um for me my religion hasn't been a barrier um and i'm i'm, I'm quite grateful for that and i and i hope going forward it doesn't be you know turn into a barrier and i don't think it will um i do think uh i do think i've struggled with my cultural identity so if we if we put religion to a side yes i am muslim um but i'm i'm pakistani as well um so my uh my ethnicity is pakistani and if we if we talk about disability and my ethnicity there there's a definite sort of stigma there um, where, you know, I sort of, I mentioned before that 
disability isn't spoken about in the South Asian community. Um, people sort of hop, skip and jump over the topic. They would much rather brush it under the carpet uh, and, and not acknowledge what's going on. Um, thankfully, that hasn't been my experience in my family. My mum and siblings have been incredible. But at the same time, because it's been such a learning progress, um, they've, they've learned with me. And so what are, you know, what their opinions used to be when I was in primary school are not the same opinions they have now. They very much have learned what I can and can't do, what I can and can't do. Um, so, yeah, I don't think religion has been a barrier for me, but if we are to talk about barriers, then I, I do think there is a stigma with the with the, the culture side of things, and that still does exist for other people. If you could tell your 12-year-old self um, something... Um, what would you what would you tell your twelve year old self? Obviously still being, you know, fairly young, um I guess it, it might be a quite difficult question to answer, but you spoke about how, you know, in secondary school you weren't very accepting of your blindness and you know, you sort of hid away from it. Um so do you what would be your what would you tell your twelve year old self if you could say absolutely anything? What I would tell my 12-year-old self what would be to be confident with my sight loss. It's not that I hid away from it when I was in secondary school. It's just I didn't know enough about it. Um, for me, my my visual impairment has always sat on a shelf, and I've, I've been trying to wedge the gap between them. You know, I've, I've been trying to um, bring the two closer, and I'm now finally at an age where, uh, you know, I sort of understand more about my sight loss. But when I was in secondary school, so when you're 12, you're like year six, year seven, aren't you? Um, I would, I would say to my 12-year-old self to not worry about what is going on at the time and that things will get better um i was a confident person it's not that i hid away from things i always accepted help i always uh i knew that something was not necessarily wrong but i knew that i couldn't see and so i always was doing my best to learn and i did learn with time um, I, you know, so I guess the advice I'd give my younger self is be patient and don't worry, things will get better. Mm. And I think, and I think when, you know, when we're going through tough times, um, you know, our, you know, whatever we believe in, you know, our faith, religion, um, and culture, um, is so important, um, in keeping us warm and you know to keep us safe i guess um i don't know if if that's how you view your religion and um, whether you feel like it keeps you warm and safe absolutely i i absolutely love my my religion and i um 
I, I love that it, you know, it gives me another uh, string to my bow, you know, like it literally, it's another identity factor that I have. Um, <clears throat> it's funny you sort of mention that because um, <coughs> I do have loads of um, mixed uh, factors that form my identity. And over the years, you know, like I say, I've been doing my best to try to bring my my disability uh, and introduce it to all the rest, you know. Um, but when I actually got called to the bar um, in March last year, I wanted to I wanted to pose with my white cane, um, which is actually pink. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to pose with my white cane instead of holding the the scroll that they give you. Um, in the photograph, in the professional photograph, and when when I posted that picture on my social media, um, the caption that I wrote was "As a blind Muslim Pakistani woman, um, this picture speaks volumes to me because it's all my, you know, it's it's an encapsulation of all my." Um, identity in one picture um, and that picture actually did uh, it, it went a little viral it, it went off on one and um, it got loads of attention uh, and rightly so because that when I look at that picture it just makes me so happy because I'm wearing a headscarf so you can tell that I'm Muslim and um, you know I'm holding my white cane you can tell that I'm blind um, and like you know that I'm Pakistani and that I'm a female and it, it was just such a wholesome experience so yeah I I definitely think that religion uh, is is a you know it's another part of my identity and I absolutely love it um and I've just thought of a really good question and um, Obviously, when you're a Muslim, um, you obviously have to read the Quran. Um, how how do um, how are Qurans accessible for the blind? Do they do Braille um, accessible copies? Yeah. yeah, they do, and I I love that question, Malachi. Honestly, it's brilliant. So yeah, the the Quran is available in uh, every language, including Braille. But for me, my sister actually found me a large print Quran. So I have a uh, large print Quran um, in, in in my in my possession, and I absolutely love it. It's um, it I I do you know I do have to still hold it very close to my face, but that's because I have to hold every if if anything's in print, I have to hold it very close to my face. But I'm just happy that I get to have um, my own copy of the Quran which is accessible to me um, and I, I really, really love that question. I also, um, the, the Quran is also, uh, it's, because it's recited, you can listen to it and it's available on YouTube, it's available everywhere. So uh, I've also, um, there's loads of apps available where loads of different Quran reciters will have recited the entire Quran so you can if you wanted, you could just listen to it, but you're right, we do read it as well. And when I want to read it myself, I have a large print copy and often I will I will just listen to it. And because you're listening to it all the time, um, I've actually managed to memorize 
um, one or two, um, not, not, they're not quite chapters, but let's say um, mini, mini chapters. Um, and that's just through memory because there's a certain reciter that will, that will um, recite in a certain way where I pick it up quicker. Um, so yeah, oh, I love that question, Malachi. <laughs> and I've, I've just thought another one. Obviously, um, when you, now I could be wrong, um, but when you become a Muslim, do you have to read the Shahada or something? Yeah, yeah. So how how does that work? Is that braille? Because obviously you have to say it. So obviously an audio copy probably wouldn't be the best way to go around the Shahada. So yeah, the, sh- the Shahada is like a it's like a declaration. Um, and for for Muslims that are born into the religion, um, it's uh, it's just another thing that you remember because it's, it's just a very tiny um, prayer so it's literally uh, it means I bear witness that uh, there is only one God and that Prophet Muhammad is the last and final messenger of God so literally just those two lines will be in Arabic and they are very easy to remember but when someone um, say someone is blind and wants to convert to Islam, uh, how it would work is the Imam would say it and you would repeat it. Um, so the Shahada is something that is uh, said when you convert to Islam, if, if that makes sense. But for a, um, but then on, on like a daily basis, you would, if you were wanting to say it, it's a very tiny prayer that you can literally remember if it would be like remembering a nursery line very tiny do you um think that it's hard to um like um be um blind when you are in um like your home country pakistan um, do you think that there is a barrier? Because obviously you said disabilities aren't spoken about um, from where you're from. Yeah, so I, um, I'm i actually born in the UK, so I haven't um, lived in Pakistan for long. But when I did, when I did visit and live with um, my mum's grandparents, uh, that was the time where my sight loss wasn't really diagnosed. So I was just running around like a headless chicken. Um, it was actually my, my mum's dad that picked up on the fact that I can't see. Um, I'd actually uh, dropped my money on the floor and in Pakistan and South Asian countries, <coughs> there is um, marble flooring, which is of different patterns and colors. And so if you drop something on the floor, it will be very hard to find it and pick it up uh, because it just blends into the background. So it was actually my my um, my nana my uh, my mum's dad that that was looking at me and he was observing what I was doing and I was just feeling for my lunch money on the floor uh, and he's the one that said, "Right, I'm going to take it to the hospital and see what's going on." Um, but yeah, I I 
definitely think that it would be hard um, to be blind in Pakistan. But at the same time, if my life was there, I would like to think that I would have the same determination that I do here. And I would still make the best of what God has given me. So um, I would always, you know, do, do my best to make my life as enjoyable as it can be because you know it doesn't matter if you're in the west or the east god will always give you challenges and it's for you to uh work your way through those challenges and and make your life as as uh enjoyable as you can so um in a roundabout way i think that's my answer (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm um, I'm a Christian, and I was. People always say to me, um, "Well, um, if you know, um, I mean, I don't know if you believe this in your uh, culture, um, but quite a lot of people always say to me, well, uh, why would uh, why wouldn't God heal you um, if um, if you're Christian?" Um, so you know, um, if God can heal people, why did why hasn't He healed you? Um, so if I mean I don't know if that's the same um in the um, uh, where if you're Muslim. So yeah, no. For, for me, it would be it would be backwards. It would be um that this is my uh challenge from God in life, and I have to make do and and be the best person that I can with it so it would do do you see how I sort of flipped it yeah and I think as a Christian I say that too I think God gives us challenges and then uses no no but God God gives us challenges that he knows we can um overcome uh, overcome yes absolutely and and in Islam we have a saying where God only gives challenges to those that he um, really adores and knows that they can get through it. Because when God gives you a challenge, what you then do is you pray for, you pray to God. And so it's a way of God ensuring that you sort of come back to him. Oh my God, this is going to turn into a religious podcast instead of um, being blind at the bar. (laughs) But... um, there's, there's always like a there's always a bigger picture um and you know like god's given me this challenge about my about my sight loss so every day i i i'm realistic about it but i do you know every day i'll, I'll pray and i'll say you know um <laughs> like don't take my sight away or, or um you know allow me to be the best that i can um or thank you for the sight you've given me but what i'm doing there is i'm I'm thanking God every every day, um, and so if, if and then God is pleased because I'm thanking Him, then He allows things to be easier. It's just it's just a beautiful cycle. Um, so yeah, no, I don't I don't see it from the God can heal. Why hasn't He healed you? Which I completely understand. And don't get me wrong, I've had those thoughts. Um, but you have to snap yourself. You have to snap out of it and be like, okay, let's be realistic here. This is my life. I am blind. Uh, I am registered blind. Uh, what can we do about it? And then you just have to get on with 
your 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 life as best as you can. Like I, I've been told that I could lose my entire sight because doctors don't know what's causing my sight loss, so they don't really have you know a, a diagnosis. They've they've kind of given me the warning that you know the little sight that you have, you could lose that too. Uh, and and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not gonna wait around until that happens. I'm gonna do everything that I can, and then we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, one of final question on the religious side is how. So obviously, you have to look at a the prayer map as you pray. How do blind people know where to look um so in terms of where to look there's obviously certain things that if you're blind you're not going to be able to do and when that happens uh we are taught that god is merciful so god's not going to um uh sanction you for not looking where you should look you know i'm not supposed to I've got a bit of sight, so I I can actually see where I'm supposed to look. But some days my eyes are hurting so much that I don't open my eyes. Um, I will I will close my eyes and I will pray. Um, and I know that I shouldn't do that because that's not the rule. But I know equally I know that God will forgive me and I'll pray. You know, do you understand? Like God's not going to sanction me. No not looking where I should be looking. Um, at the same time, uh, the prayer mat is um, quite tactile. So um, the way I will uh, know if I'm standing in the right direction is often there'll be like a an engraved um, point where which, it, which is supposed to be the, the, the upside of the prayer mat. So you can often feel that. And then uh, you just need to make sure that you're pointing it. Point, uh, you've got the prayer mat um, in the right direction, so you're praying in the right direction. Um, and what I do is um, I would use my feet as a tactile um, warning. So I know where the edge of the prayer mat is. That's where my ankle, well, not my ankle, my um, my heel would be. So I would feel the the, the back of the prayer mat. And then uh, I'll be like, right, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the prayer mat properly. So, but, but with everything, um, I've been praying since I was like uh, a little little girl. So you get faster at it and quicker at it and more efficient at it with time as well. Like I'm sure you probably run around your house, Malafai, you know, like you probably go up and down the stairs um, without any help and you're, you're fully blind you know <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so with with time and practice um things get a lot easier yeah um thank you so much for joining um it's been a real insight um to speak to you and learn about you know um not just about your um law and about uh, being called to the bar and being a barrister or a learning barrister but it's actually been really interesting to learn about your faith and religion as a blind person 
Oh, thank you so much. It's been delightful to be on here. I, uh, I'm really happy with the questions that you've asked and the, uh, and the religious um, science that you took on it. it. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you so much. And yeah, guys, I will see you next week for another epic podcast. Thanks for watching, everybody. Bye.